Amen. Good morning. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Coastal. I am Pastor Chris. Uh, great to have you with us today. If you um, are a guest with us today, we hope that you feel especially welcome like our expected guest uh, in our home. Don't be afraid, as Scott said, to fill out uh, that Connect card. It's our way that we connect with one another, um, especially if you're a first-time guest. But uh, don't be afraid. Again, no one's going to come and show up at your house this week. We just want to uh, say thank you for being here. Uh, I love Christmas. I love the series that we're in, The Sounds of Christmas. We started last week. And uh, basically what we're saying is, hey, open up your heart, uh, your eyes, and your ears uh, to uh, the miracle of Christmas. And uh, we're going to sing some great songs, and we're going to delve into uh, the original Christmas story and talk about its implications uh, to our lives. Make sure you uh, are planning now to attend uh, our Christmas Eve services, as the little video just said. Um, we have three services, 5 o'clock, 6.30, and 8 o'clock, although the 5 o'clock is really already full. All the tickets are gone. And, uh, but we have plenty of room now in the 6.30 and the 8 o'clock, but I would recommend going ahead and uh, making sure you get tickets and reserve. You can just go into the Welcome Center, and uh, there are tickets in there, a little table, and uh, sign your name up, tell us how many tickets you're taking. Uh, the tickets really are, so we can kind of gauge the size of the services, but also for you to use them to invite and bring somebody. Obviously, it's free. Obviously, we're not going to turn anybody away. Uh, but we could go ahead and say, like we're saying now, hey, the 5 o'clock is really full. You need to come to one of the other two services. So make sure you take care of that today after the service. Hey, everybody, take a look over here at our Christmas tree. Uh, this is really exciting. Uh, man, Friday, we just had one of the best days here at our office on a Friday that we've ever had. And, uh, you know, last Sunday, we announced that we are partnering with uh, Oakland Elementary School, and we had about 30 uh, angel tree cards that we wanted to, for you to take and to take care of the kids in our community, and everybody took care of those really by the second service. They were all gone, and uh, so the third service really didn't even get to participate. So um, the counselor, guidance counselor from Oakland uh, contacted me this past week and said, hey, Pastor Chris, we, we had so many needs this year. And we're really having a hard time, you know, meeting all of the needs for all the kids. And, you know, maybe if there's anybody at Coastal that would like to help, you know, and she was kind of, you know, hesitant about asking. And I was like, man, we would love to do that. And so we went over and took all of them. And uh, so by Friday afternoon, our church had already taken care of like 76 angel, angel tree cards. And the phone was like ringing off the hook uh, to get those. So that's great. We're excited about that. Um, so what you need to do now, though, is bring those gifts back, okay? So that's great. You took it. Now, don't let us down and not really do anything. So, um, so you have until Tuesday, um, and you just put the gifts underneath the tree, and then on Wednesday, we take everything back over to Oakland. So uh, if you can, put the card with the gift, tape it on the gift you know, pin it on or whatever you need to do and just set it underneath the tree. Some of you have it out in the car. You can bring it back and, and put it inside. But just make sure you bring it over here uh, by Tuesday or we're going to look pitiful. So, okay. Um, hey, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Second Chronicles 16.9. And uh, one of the reasons I love it, I just love the imagery of this verse and what it says and what it, what it implies. So we're all going to read it out loud together. If you put that up on the screen and uh, you need to improve me a little bit because the first service kind of let me down. It was really sad. So let's read this verse together. Second Chronicles 16, 9. Let's say it. Here we go. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Man, that is a beautiful, powerful verse because the Bible basically says that God is looking for people. 
He is looking for people to use. He is looking for people. In fact, the imagery is, again, that the eyes of the Lord are searching. One verse says, to and fro, back and forth throughout the whole earth in order to find people that he might strengthen whose hearts are fully committed to him. So he's looking for people. He's looking for people to use. He's looking for people that will join him in the adventure of fulfilling his plan. Now, the reality, though, is that some of you come to church or you come here today and basically you say, well, Pastor Chris, that sounds great, you know, for other people. That sounds great for somebody else, but there's no way that God would ever use me. You know, and he can't use me because of, you know, I might not be good enough. That's what some of you think. You know, some of you think that God can't use you because of your past. Maybe a far away past, something that happened in your life a long time ago, for some reason you think disqualifies you. Maybe because of your family, upbringing, your story. Some of you think God can't use you because of something going on in your life right here and right now. But for whatever the reason, maybe it's you feel like you have nothing to offer God, nothing to give Him. The story of today's message, the, the, the really the overall uh, theme of today's message is this. Let me sum it up in a nutshell. You ready? You're wrong, okay? You are dead wrong. God wants to use you. In fact, He is waiting to use you, the Bible says. In fact, He is eager to use you in ways that you have never dreamed of before. You've never imagined. Isn't that awesome that our God loves you enough that he has a plan for your life? You're not an accident. God has something that he wants to accomplish through you. In fact, Mary and Joseph basically are proof of that. I mean, they are. There is no way, no how, any, anybody in this room would have ever, ever picked Mary and Joseph to be the Savior, to be the parents of the Savior of the world. I mean, we never would have chose them. Now, there are, there are in fact, though, a lot of misconceptions, uh, spiritually, biblically, about Mary and Joseph. Let me, let me clear up a, some of those really quickly. Not once, not once in the Bible. Listen, I don't, you know, let's just talk about what the Bible says. Not your church background, not your church tradition. Not once in the Bible does it say that you are to worship Mary and Joseph. Okay, it is not there. It's not found there. Not once, nowhere in Scripture does it say that Mary and Joseph were sinless, that they were perfect. Okay, it does not say that Mary was God, was equal with God, was on any level closer to God than anybody else. In fact, if you read the Christmas story, really, what is so um, special and uh, I guess exciting about Mary and Joseph is just that they're plain, ordinary people. That's it. I mean, what's amazing about this, this story is that God chose to take an ordinary couple, okay, just a regular, ordinary couple, and use them in an extraordinary way. Now, that's a great, powerful message for you and me. Because I don't know about you, but, you know, I feel pretty, um, pretty ordinary most of the time. And what's amazing about, about Mary and about Joseph and about people all throughout Scripture is that God took ordinary people, in fact, people even less than ordinary, people that were messed up, people that were jacked up, that were screwed up, and he used them in a powerful way. He didn't use them because of their education, because they didn't have any. He didn't use them because of their wealth, because they were poor. He didn't use them because of their maturity, because they were young peasant teenagers. You know why God chose to use them? 
Because they trusted him. They trusted him. Now, sure, they had all kinds of fears. In fact, they probably had all kinds of reasons to be afraid. But they never let their fears control them. Instead, there were at least three things in their life that I think we can see today that we can emulate, that we can model, that we can walk out of here today and take with us tomorrow. Let's read a little bit about their story. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Follow along as I read. It says this, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus. Now, this is basically the reveal party, okay, for, for Mary. She's with child, and it's a boy, and his name is Jesus. And so the angel explains what's going to happen, and Mary's initial reaction is shock. Okay, it says here she was greatly troubled. Another translation says confused or disturbed. I mean, do you think? I mean, come on. This is an angel. I mean, in fact, the Greek word there really means petrified, scared to death. Wouldn't you be a little afraid if an angel showed up at your house? I mean, we're not talking about Victoria's Secret angels here, okay? We're talking about these are the angels of the Lord showing up, okay? You would be afraid. We would all be afraid. And, and in fact, I think there's several fears that, that you know, that, all, that, that came up here that I think you can see in Mary. And I think these same fears show up in our lives today. And I think these same fears kind of get in the way of you and I ever being used by God. Fear, and this is not on your outline. You might want to write these down somewhere off to the side. But definitely the fear of criticism. You know, how many of you have ever let that keep you back? You know, you know, people are critical of you. They say things about you, and you kind of shy away from ever doing what God wants you to do. You know, and think about Mary. You know, what's everybody going to think? I'm a virgin, and I'm going to have a baby. How about the fear of the unknown? The fear of the unknown. That had to be huge uh, in her life. What, you know, what's going to happen to me? How's this all going to work out? How's this going to play itself out? And then there had to be the fear of inadequacy. Man, I'm just a teenager. You know, how can I handle this? You know, I've got nothing. I'm no one. You know, I don't have, and some of you, boy, that's your greatest fear. Because you feel like God could ever, never do anything in your life because you feel like a nobody. Or maybe just the fear of change. We don't like change, do we? We like things to stay the way they are. You know, we love tradition. We love the traditions of Christmas, and that's great. But sometimes we let the fear of change keep us from ever doing what God wants us to do. Now, this morning, I want to talk about the antidote to that. Three things, three. And if you will build these three things in your life, if I'll build these three things into my life, I think God can use us in ways that we could never dream or imagine. Number one, first of all, God uses people who desire to do his will. We've got to want it. I mean, you just got to want it. You've got to get to that place in your life where you finally come to the point and you say, you know what, more than anything else, I want God's plan for my life. Now, here's the great news. God has a plan for your life, but it's not automatic. 
You know the verse that we read this morning from 2 Chronicles 16? It said that he is looking for people to strengthen whose hearts are fully committed to him. In other words, God, yes, has made you for a purpose, but it's not automatic in the sense that you've got a little bit of freedom here. Okay, God doesn't force his plan on your life. You have to choose to cooperate with him. You and I have a choice, right? We could waste our life. We could blow our life. I mean, we could choose to do anything else we want to, not make it count. And so, you know, step one, starting place. God uses people who want it. Who say, God, more than anything else, I want you to be the center of my life, and I want to be what you made me to be. So one day an angel shows up to Mary and, say, and says, hey, God's got this fantastic plan. He is going to come to planet Earth on a rescue mission. And Mary, guess how he is going to choose to come to Earth so we'll know what God's like and he can relate to us. He is choosing to come through your body. You're going to be the vessel. I love Mary's response in verses 46 through 48. She says this, My soul praises the Lord. My heart rejoices in God my Savior because he has shown his concern for his humble servant girl. Now, Mary didn't say, Hey, God, you know what? You need to find somebody else, you know? You know, I, I, uh, you know, God, you know God says, I want to use you. Mary didn't say, well, you know, God, that sounds all fine and good, but I got a career to think about. You know, I got my plans right now, and I got my dreams and my ambitions, and, you know, this really isn't good timing for me right now, the whole mother of the Savior of the world. You know, we need to, we need to change this up a little bit. Can't you find somebody else? Now, what about Joseph? You know, the reality is you don't hear a lot about Joseph, do you, in the, in the whole Christmas story? But he was skeptical as well. I mean, who wouldn't be? I mean, but whenever God told him to obey, this is what's interesting about Joseph. Because again, we don't know a lot about him, but what we do know about him is that anytime God said something, he listened and then he obeyed. He listened and then he did the right thing. Matthew 1 24, it says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home to be his wife. And then in chapter 2, this is kind of after the Christmas story. Remember the flee to Egypt? It says this. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up. And he took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So God says, get up. And then it says, so he got up. Again, over and over again, when you hear about Joseph, it's like, God says, jump. Joseph says, how high? He listened, and he obeys without question. Now, Mary didn't just not decline God's will. You know, she didn't just tolerate God's plan. She, she desired it. She wanted it. It says, my, my soul praised the Lord. My heart rejoiced. The first reason God chose Mary, I think, is that she desired to be used by God. 
And there's a couple of attitudes here that you see in Mary and Joseph that I think we need to display in our life if God's going to work in a great way. Number one is enthusiasm. Again, my soul praises the Lord. My heart rejoices. This is not, well, God's going to use me. Better get this over with. You know, it's not like that. You know, nowhere do you, do you see, you know, uh, you know boy, I'll, just, I'll tolerate this. No, she's eager. God, I want to be used. I think we need enthusiasm about God's plan for our life. This desire, this want to, an excitement, a joy. But the second attitude is one of humility. Thank, she said, listen to this. She says, thank you for considering me. Thank you for thinking about me. And then she says, your humble servant. Nowhere does Mary say, God, I was wondering when you'd get around to using me because when you, when you thought of me, you're getting a great deal here in me because I'm awesome. Okay, she doesn't say that. She says, I'm your humble servant. Now, here's my point today. You know what? None of us deserve to be used by God. You know what we all are? We're all trophies of his grace. That's all we are. Listen, God works in our lives, but not because we deserve it. Even him working in our lives is his gift to you. It's his gift. And so very humbly and enthusiastically, we ought to say, God, thank you for using your humble servant. So the first key, if God's going to work in your life is, man, you and I have got to want it. We've got to desire it. It's not automatic. We've got to say, God, I want you to use me. In fact, David said that in Psalm 40, verse 8. It says, David said, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is in my heart. I love what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. He said, my only goal is to please God. My only goal is to please God. You know, how do you know when that really is your only goal? When that's the reason why you do what you do? How do you know that? I think one way we know is that we listen to him. We have this, you know, relationship, this, this two-way relationship where we listen to God. We talk to him. He talks back to us through his word. By the way, that's why it's going to be so important, I believe, in 2015, you know, to read God's word so that he does speak to you through his word. But if we never listen to him, if we never check in with him, you know, that means we can go day by day by day without ever having his influence in our life. So God speaks to those who listen. Again, I think one of the reasons why God chose Mary is because she was in tune with God. Luke 2, 19, it says, but Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and thought about them often. I like that word often, and you see that throughout this, uh, this Christmas story, that Mary had this habit of listening to God, of being in tune with God, and when he speaks, she obeyed. So what about us? What do you really want in this life? You know, what do you want for Christmas? What's your reason for living? What do you desire most? To get married, to make a lot of money, to one day retire, you know, to experience the American dream. Listen, there's nothing necessarily wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. But let me tell you this, they're not worth living for. They're not worth being the, the center of your life. Matthew 6, Jesus said this, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. So what do you want? What do you desire? Number two, God uses people who decide 
to pay the cost. To decide to pay the cost. Did you know that there is a cost in following Christ? You know, if you were to sit here today and go, you know what, God, in 2015, this new year, I want to make a commitment to you. I want you to be right at the center of my life. I'm going to give you more of me in 2015 than I've ever had given you before. I want to recommit my life to Christ. I want to follow you. Well, listen, that's awesome. That's great. But hear this loud and clear. It's going to cost you something. There's always a cost. There are always risks. It's always going to require faith. You're going to have to step out and do some things in, in the unknown. You're going to have to do some things maybe you're scared to do. Think about Mary and Joseph. They, they wanted God's will more than anything else, and then they decided to take that risk to pay the cost. In fact, in, in, in chapter 1, verse 38, Mary said this, I am the Lord's servant. Now listen to this. And I am willing to do, what does it say? What's the word? Whatever he wants. Have you ever said that to God? That circle the word whatever there. Underline it, star it. Whatever. Mary said, I'm willing to do whatever he wants. Now, let's think about this. What does the word whatever include? What does it include, you think? Everything, right. It includes everything. You know, does that sound a little scary? Does that sound a little risky? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's being willing to pay the cost. Can you imagine what it cost Mary and Joseph to say yes? To say yes to being the parents of Jesus. We talked a little bit about some of this last week, but it definitely cost her, uh, their, uh, both of them, their reputation. I mean, see if you can make sense of this. You ready? Here we go. She's a virgin. She's pregnant. Let's try that again. <laughs> She's a virgin. She's pregnant. Let me show you a few diagrams on the screen here. No, okay, no, obviously. Right, that, that makes no sense, Right? I mean, she's pledged to be married to Joseph. How in the world are you going to explain that to everybody? How are you going to explain that to your parents, to people in the community? I mean, can't you imagine Mary thinking, man, what in the world is everybody going to think? I'm single, I've never been with a man, and yet I'm pregnant. You know, I mean, if you were engaged and your fiancé came up to you and said, by the way, honey, I'm having a baby, I'm pregnant but I'm still a virgin, and you're the baby mama. I mean, you're the baby daddy. You're, you know, you know you're, you're the father. You know, well, excuse me, actually, you're really not the father. You're going to be my husband, but the father is God. Now, how many of you are going to buy that line? I mean, nobody is. In fact, think about this. Not only did they give up their reputation immediately, but do you realize it wasn't until Jesus was like 30 years old until he did any kind of miracle that might in some way, some shape or form validate everything that Mary and Joseph had said when he was being born. Can you imagine what that must have been like all that time? I mean, can't you picture Mary at like, you know, maybe Jesus is like four or five and there's a bunch of kids around. Maybe it's at a birthday party or something. She's like, Jesus, can you just juggle some camels or something? I mean, do something. Levitate yourself, you know. Like, do something to prove that I'm not crazy. And that, that, that what I said was right, that it was true. Now, guess what? Here's, here's my point today. If any of us ever get serious about God's plan for our lives, 
there will be people in your life who will misunderstand you. There are going to be people in your life who are going to misjudge you, who will criticize you. That's just a part, that's, that's a part of the cost. It obviously also cost them their comfort. You know, the Bible says she, that Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem, but remember they're in Nazareth. That's like an 80-mile journey. She's nine months pregnant. You know, that's a journey now, you know, on foot or on donkey. You know, but not only that, here's a teenage girl having her first child in a foreign city, in a cold barn, and there's no family or friends around. And then it gets worse. After the baby's born, you know, after the shepherds come and, you know, and all of that. After all that, you hear the king wants to kill him. And so now you got to take off running with your husband to a foreign country. You ready for this? You got to move to Egypt. Okay, let me say that again. You got to move to Egypt. Do you remember Egypt in the history of the Jewish people? Right? Not exactly one of their favorite places, right? Remember, they had been enslaved there. It is, it is the land of, of idol worship central, okay? So you and the Savior of the, of, the, of the world go to this land and live there until I tell you. But you know what? God's purpose for your life and for my life it includes some twists and turns. It includes some problems. And I don't think they're accidental. They're, they're a part of the plan. In fact, Jesus was very upfront about the cost of following him. Later on, he said in, in Luke uh, 14, 27, and if anyone, if anyone doesn't carry his cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I love what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3. He said, you know what? I once thought that all this stuff, all these things were so very important, but now they're worthless because of what Jesus has done. What was he saying? He's saying, you know, all those things in my life that I used to think were so cool and so important, I used to live my life for this, so valuable. You know what? They're just cheap plastic thrills. They really don't satisfy my soul. They don't matter anymore. And they are nothing, he says. Nothing compared to knowing Jesus and being in the center of his will. So the question is, what are we willing to give up? in order to be used by God. Guys, you know what? God might ask you to give up some habits. He might ask you to give up some relationships that are pulling you down instead of building you up. He might ask you to set aside your ambitions so that you could do what he made you to do and be what he made you to be. So step number one, if we're going to be used by God, we got to want it, desire it more than anything else. And number two, we've got to decide to pay the cost. That's why he chose Mary and Joseph. Number three, God uses people who dare to trust him, who dare to trust his promises. Man, it takes courage to be used by God. Now, courage doesn't mean that you're never afraid. You know, courage is not the absence of fear. It's, it's moving forward in spite of your fear. It's facing your fear. Another great word for that would be faith. 
And that's what we see about Mary and Joseph. Man, these are people of great faith. They didn't have all the answers, but they knew who did, and they trusted him. They weren't afraid of the unknown. Uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 34, it says, Mary asked the angel, but how can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. For nothing is what? Nothing is impossible with God. God uses people who believe that. Who dare to trust him. You know, it's, it's possible you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, Pastor Chris, why doesn't God do that in my life? Why doesn't God ever do any miracles in my life? Well, you know what? It might be because maybe you're afraid that he will. Maybe you're afraid of the unknown. You're afraid that if God does something supernatural in your life, if he does a miracle in your life, you're going to lose a little bit of control. Maybe he doesn't do miracles in your life because you don't expect him to. You don't, you're not looking for all the miracles of, of, of God in your life, and so you play it safe. God uses people who dare to trust him. Mary and Joseph had every single reason to be afraid, to worry. I mean, they're going to carry this great responsibility. But listen to this. Instead of worry, Mary worshipped. And you see that in Luke chapter 1. Instead of panicking, she prayed. And I think we need that challenge today. You know, when you and I come upon situations where you think you are in over your head, where you think that other people are judging you, when you're in a situation where you're being criticized, when you're in a situation where God is calling you to take that next step and you can't see the next step, then the answer is, Instead of worrying, it's worship. Instead of panicking, it's to pray. You know, any, anytime I'm afraid, anytime I'm worried, you know what that means? That means I've forgotten the promises of God. Man, that's another great reason, by the way, to be regularly reading God's word. We don't even know what his promises are. We say a lot, hey, claim the promises of God. How can you claim something you don't even know what it is? Jesus said, nothing is impossible with God. Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, knew exactly why God chose Mary. In verse 45, Elizabeth said this, You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Wouldn't you like that to be said about you? Man, you're blessed because you chose to believe that God meant business, that he would do what he said he would do, that he is faithful, that he never reneges on his promises. And you believed him. God uses people who desire to do his will more than anything else. It's why they live. God uses people who decide they're going to pay that cost. It's worth it compared to knowing Jesus. It's all just garbage. God uses people who will dare to trust him. You know, if God could take a couple of poor, peasant, uneducated teenagers and choose to use them to be the parents of the Savior of the world, What's your excuse? What's our excuse? You know, for not letting God use us. 
Listen, I don't, think I, can, I don't think I can say it any clearer than this. I stand up here week after week after week, and I look out into your eyes, and I see you. And you know what I see? Do you know what I think? Oh, my goodness. The potential in this room is amazing. It is amazing. I think about your stories and, and uh, your, your talents and your gifts and your abilities and where you've come from and what you've done and that we're all just trophies of God's grace and I see so much potential, so much spiritual potential. Some of you can't see it. I see it. I know God sees it. It is here. It is palpable. God has gifted you in amazing ways. And one day we're all going to stand before God and he's going to ask us, hey, by the way, what did you do with the gift of Jesus? How did you appropriate him in your life? Did you believe? Did you dare to trust him? And then he's going to want to know simply, what did you do with all the other things that I gave you? All the stuff. All the abilities, all the resources, all the talent, your story, everything. How, we, this is how we say it here at Coastal. How did you leverage it for kingdom purposes? Because none of it's yours. It's all on loan from God. And he has given it to you for a time, for a short time. So that you could choose, if you will, to be a part of his plan. And to use his stuff for, for kingdom purposes, you could choose to do that. Or you could say no. The question is, are you willing? Are you willing to say, hey, you know what, God? Anytime, anywhere, any place, use me. Whatever that means, whatever the implications are. I'm giving you my agenda, my dreams, my plans, my finances, my resources. They're not mine anyway. They're all yours. I lay it all on the line. I will not stand another day not being at the center of your will. I'm going to give it all up and whatever it takes, I want to be the person you made me to be. I want to do what you made me to do. I want to, you know, your eyes are searching the whole earth to find whose hearts are fully committed to you. It's me. Look no further. Will you say that? Now let me ask you, saying that doesn't scare you a little bit. It ought to. There's nothing wrong with being afraid, but faith is moving forward in spite of our fears. And, and I think one of the secrets to overcoming the sphere of, of the unknown, the sphere of really placing our lives in the hand of God, it's, well, what do we know about God? What do we really know about him? Let me tell you some things I know. I know that God loves you. I know that God says you matter to him. I know that God says he made you and he has your very best interest at his heart. In fact, get this, you ready? He actually knows what will make you happy more than you do. That's what we know. And if you really know that and believe that, then you don't have any problem trusting a God like that. Now let me ask you a really personal question. What are you going to give Jesus this year for Christmas? Right? I mean, he's the birthday boy, right? That's what Christmas is supposed to be all about. You know, you, typically the birthday boy gets a present, you know, on his birthday. It's Jesus' birthday. What are you going to give him for Christmas? Now, it would be really easy for you to say, wow, that's, that's hard, Pastor Chris, because, again, 
right? He has everything. He owns everything. What do you give somebody who has it all? It's like giving your dad a present for Christmas. Dad, what do you want for Christmas? I just want everybody to be happy. Great, Dad. I can't buy that at Walmart, okay? <laughs> give me something I can get you, right? Okay, so again, what do you give the person who has it all? Because Jesus has it all, right? No, he does not. He doesn't have all of you until you give it to him. So what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? I mean, the God that I know is a God who loves me, who cares for me, who has my best interest at heart. He will give me hope and joy and purpose and meaning and forgiveness and a clear conscience and a hope for heaven for all eternity. What are you waiting on? Give him all of yourself this Christmas. You know, the truth is, even if you have done that at some point in your life, as a follower of Jesus, let's be, let's be brutally honest with, with, with each other. There are times when we kind of take that back a little bit. Piece by piece, we take a little bit of it back. You know, little bits of ourselves, little, little things where you say, well, this is mine, or, you know, I want to control this, or, you know, I really don't want to sacrifice that, and we, we take it back. Listen, Give it to him. Repent, ask for forgiveness, and give it to him. And then maybe, just maybe, there's somebody here today who has never, who's been afraid to come home and to, to give your life fully and completely to Christ. He is, in spite of what you have heard, in spite of how it might have been explained to you in the past. Our God loves you. And he is waiting with arms open wide for you to come home. And there's nothing that you could have ever done, said, been a part of. I don't even care if you have cursed God and pushed him out of your life and rebelled away from him. He is one step away from you right now. And he's waiting on you to come home. Why not do that today? If God could use poor, uneducated, peasant teenagers to be the vessel through which the Savior of the world would come into this world, he is waiting and wanting to use you and me. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today for people, the people like Mary and Joseph. I thank you for their faith. I thank you for their courage and their willingness to trust you. And Father, I believe that you are waiting, you are searching, in fact, for people that you might continue to use for your plan. And there are people here today, myself included, who at times we have, we have given you our lives, but then we've taken parts back. Help us today to give you it all, to trust you with it all. Yes, there is a cost, but there is nothing there's nothing compared to knowing Jesus. There's nothing compared to forgiveness and purpose and hope and meaning. And Father, I believe there's, there are people here today, people who come to this church week in and week out who are ready to come home. They think, they think they have, they have done something so bad or so wrong that they could never be used. Not only could they never be used by you, but truthfully, they could never be forgiven. They can't even forgive themselves. 
Father, I pray today they, they have heard and know that you are a God of love and grace and forgiveness. And you are standing right there with them, arms open wide, just ready for, ready, waiting to receive them into your love. Listen, just cry out to God right now and say, God, forgive me. Today I want to come home. I believe, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is your son, that you sent him to this earth for me. That it was my sin and my rebellion that put him on that cross. That he died a, a, a painful criminal's death, sacrificed for my sin. But your love and your power were too great. He overcame death and the grave. He rose again three days later, and he is alive. He is alive. God, I don't understand all the implications of that today, but today I believe it. And I put all my trust in him and what he did for me on that cross and through his resurrection. I believe. And for the rest of my days, God, I want to follow him. I want to follow him. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making me brand new. Thank you for giving me a reason for living and sharing that with the whole world. I love you. We love you, Father. We pray this today.